I'm Gerilyn Novak with Novak Farms in Pleasanton, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Hope you're having a great Christmas season so far. We are here, but it's not stopping us from cranking out another episode of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, winter will officially be here in a few days, but believe it or not, spring planting is just around the corner for a lot of Texas farmers. We'll have that coming up to kick off today's show. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. For producers in the Texas High Plains, AgriLife is offering an opportunity to get some education on a variety of topics and also pick up a bunch of CEUs. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. The environmental benefits of Christmas tree farms in Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have details on some of those beneficial factors on Texas Ag Today. The latest trade outlook from the Department of Agriculture forecasts less exports and more imports in 2024. I'm Michael Clements and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Winter will officially be here in a few days, but spring planting is near for South Texas farmers. Well, right now we're trying to prep the ground. We're trying to, we're putting out fertilizer, getting the land all ready to go, and hard to believe in 60 days we'll be planting corn. So it's right around the corner. That's Brian Adamek, who farms near Victoria. He says prices are the big factor in his cropping decisions for 2024. The markets have been a very major driver of that right now. Corn prices have held steady. While they're still down, they're still up. Cotton has taken a big hit. Uh, it's getting really hard to pencil out cotton to make any profit this year. So it looks like it's going to be a pretty big year of grain again. The weather can also be a factor in what gets planted next year, according to John Paul Deneen, who farms in Ellis County, south of Dallas. You know, it's always, there's only so many things that you can plant and grow, and, and you sit back and you try and make those decisions financially about maybe what might be the most profitable. In the end, for us, it always kind of comes back to a weather decision of what's dry enough to get planted on time that we think we can do or we need to switch crops because we're later in the season. So, you know, the, the best laid ideas that we think we have, sometimes the good Lord and Mother Nature changes for us and it may not be what we thought we were wanting to do. Deneen just wrapped up wheat planting a couple of weeks ago. A professor at West Texas A&M University has been awarded a $300,000 grant to study ways to prevent liver abscesses in feedlot cattle. 
Dr. Kendall Samuelson, an associate professor of animal science at the university, was awarded the funding from the International Consortium for Antimicrobial Stewardship in Agriculture. The funding will be matched by WT. According to Dr. Samuelson, liver abscesses are a major concern for commercial beef producers and processors, but we still have a lot to learn about them. She said expanding our understanding of why and when these abscesses will develop will help improve prevention strategies and promote judicious use of antibiotics. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. This was not a good year for cotton in the North Texas panhandle. Gerald Key runs the nation's largest cotton gin, Adobe Walls Gin in Spearman. Unfortunately, it was our worst year ever since we've opened. I think the second year we were here, we ginned 31.7, and this year we finished up with a little over 29,000. It's been a bit of a disappointment, but Mother Nature's Mother Nature, and we take what we can get. Gerald Key with Adobe Walls Gin. Texas A&M AgriLife is offering some educational opportunities for farmers on the Texas High Plains. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. Texas A&M AgriLife is providing producers with a major educational opportunity on Thursday, December 21st. It's the AgriLife Crop Production and Protection Seminar, which is being offered at 37 different locations around the Texas High Plains. Danny Nusser, AgriLife's regional program leader, says a wide range of subjects will be covered. We worked real hard to get some topics that the guys can address this time of year that are timely and also really important. You know, there's a lot of drift information, a lot of weed control issues. And, you know, I haven't talked to anybody that didn't have issues with weeds last year with all the rain and then dry. And, and so we had a lot of breakouts. And so uh, this time of year, we get a lot of things that come down with EPA and some of the decisions on different herbicides and auction training. So it's a good time to talk about a lot of those topics, whether we're talking about crops or whether we're talking about pasture, we have a little bit of that information coming. So I'm really proud of the program we put together. And also we're going to have five CEUs and a lot of guys need that this time of year. Now, as I said, this seminar is being offered at 37 locations throughout the region. The presentations will be conducted over the internet, but Nusser says those who attend the event can expect the same things they would receive at regular county extension meetings. They'll take your CU information. They'll do everything just like they do with a normal meeting there. And then we'll bring the presenters to you via Microsoft Teams. And you'll be able to ask questions live. You'll be able to do whatever you need to at those meetings. The Crop Production and Protection Seminar on Thursday, December 21st, will begin at 8 a.m. at each location. To get more information and to RSVP your plans to attend, contact your local extension office. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas Christmas tree farms offer several environmental benefits. Tom Nicoletti tells how. When consumers purchase a live Christmas tree at Christmas tree farms in Texas, they are ultimately contributing to improving the environment. Here is Dr. Aaron Stottlemyer, the Forest Analytics Department head at the Texas A&M Forest Service. When we talk about the environmental benefit, tree farms are forests. They're just young forests. And when we talk about all the environmental benefits of forests, we've got to talk about wildlife habitat. So tree farms are excellent wildlife habitat. In the same way, other more more traditional forests 
stabilize the soil, clean our drinking water. They are part of the watershed, so they're improving the quality of water intercepted by young forests. Same thing with, with Christmas tree farms. You hear a lot about carbon sequestration. So in the same way that trees in traditional forests um, sequester carbon, real Christmas trees are, are doing the same thing. Real trees are, of course, renewable. They're sustainable. What comprises a, a tree is essentially just carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Trees are harvesting carbon dioxide as a gas from the atmosphere and water from the ground. And when a tree is decomposed, the gas goes back to the atmosphere and the water goes back to the ground. When it comes to the disposal of a real Christmas tree, in the same way yard debris, tree debris can be mulched and used for landscaping, the same thing can happen to Christmas trees. Municipalities and communities will often have Christmas tree collections where those trees will either be mulched and composted or used for landscaping. And a lot of times the municipalities will collect the Christmas trees and then go and sink them to the to the bottom of a, of a water body and they create very valuable fish habitat. That is Dr. Aaron Stottlemyre with the Texas A&M Forest Service in College Station. I'm Tom Nicoletti for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The latest trade outlook from the Department of Agriculture forecasts less exports and more imports in 2024. Michael Clements has the story from Washington. The Department of Agriculture released its quarterly outlook for U.S. agricultural trade. Dave Salmonson, AFBF Senior Government Affairs Director, says the data projects a decrease in exports and an increase of agricultural imports in 2024. For this year, 2023, agricultural exports have come in at about $179 billion and imports at about $195 billion. So we're seeing an increase in imports, a bit of decrease in exports from a year ago when we were about $190 billion. And for next year, that will widen a little bit and we'll be down a little bit more on exports and a further increase in imports. Salmonson explains how the forecast impacts our major trade partners. 2023, our agricultural exports to our number one destination, which is China, were right about $34 billion, and their forecast for next year is $29.5 billion. Mexico and Canada will pretty much stay the same. Mexico at $28 billion, Canada at $27 billion. A little bit of a decrease in Japan from $12 billion down to $11.5 billion. The European Union, roughly the same right around the $12 billion mark, and the same with South Korea. AFBF and other agricultural organizations recently sent a letter to President Biden supporting measures that will improve agricultural trade. The administration needs to get back in the business of working on and executing comprehensive trade agreements. We must continue to enforce aggressively our existing trade agreements. We need to reform the World Trade Organization, especially the dispute settlement function. We need to continue to support and strengthen our agricultural supply chain and in sustainability. You need the administration to continue to work and support voluntary incentive-based efforts. From Washington, I'm Michael Clements for Texas Ag Today. Youth hunting on MLDP properties could see some regulation changes in the 2024-2025 season. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And early wheat pastures for grazing are looking good thanks to recent rains. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. 
Sawyer is now two. And will soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Early wheat pastures for grazing aren't looking pretty good thanks to good rains. But Dr. Bob Judd says supplementation may be necessary at some point in the season. Many areas are still low on water after these rains and this may lead to less growth of the winter wheat. The lack of growth may affect stocking rates and this will affect the performance of the calves and also affect the amount of pasture remaining in the spring. Dr. Paul Beck at Oklahoma State Extension indicates the maximum average daily gain could be expected at 5 pounds of forage dry matter per pound of initial calf body weight. If the initial forage allowance is restricted to 2.4 pounds forage dry matter per pound of initial body weight, we can still see adequate performance of around 2 pounds per day of growth. If available forage falls below 2 pounds of calf body weight per day, supplementation should be considered. If you assume about 200 pounds of forage is available for every inch of wheat pasture height, a good stand of wheat that is 4 inches tall will require stocking rates of 2.5 to 3 acres per 500-pound steer. Research at Oklahoma State showed that providing a concentrate supplement containing either corn or a soy-hull-wheat middling blend containing monensin increased the stocking rate by 33% and weight gains by 0.3 pounds per day. Intake of low-quality roughages is not high enough to offset decreased wheat forage intake and can even reduce performance in growing calves. However, adding moderate to high-quality roughages such as corn sorghum or round bale silage increased gains in steers grazing wheat pasture. Even feeding Bermuda grass round bale silage at the lowest stocking rate actually increased average daily gains. So supplementing calves on your wheat pasture may be profitable. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Youth hunting on MLDP properties could see some regulation changes for the 24-25 season. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is considering a change to youth hunting regulations on properties that are entered into the Managed Lands Deer Program. Alan Kane, TPWD's Big Game Program Director, explains the potential changes. We might be considering bringing a proposal for in January as a modification of rules pertaining to method of take or youth harvest of branch antlered bucks on properties enrolled in the Harvest Option MLD Program. Currently, for Harvest Option properties under MLD, part Harvested branch antler bucks during the first 35 days of season can only occur with archery equipment, and that's doesn't matter who it is, youth, adult, it's only archery equipment harvest. The harvest option season overlaps with the early use season, which youth hunters following county regulations can actually use a farm to harvest any buck under a county regulation. Those two right now, it's currently the weekend prior to the general season. And so this difference between what method of take youth can use to harvest branch antler buck under the harvest option versus the county regulations has been confusing and provides some restrictions on what youth can actually harvest buck-wise under the harvest option during that early part of the season or those weekend dates there. And therefore, staff would consider a proposal to simplify regulations to reduce confusion and ease restrictions on the method of take for youth under the harvest option by allowing them to take the buck with any firearm on the same dates as early 
early use season for the county regulations. The proposal is informal at this time. TPWD is expected to present it to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission in January. If approved by the commission, the rule will be published in the Texas Register, opening up a public comment period. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domal. It's time to check the markets. We'll be back with a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We wrapped up another pretty good week in the cattle futures market on Friday. Now, we've had two good weeks in cattle futures recovering after the big meltdown we've had over the past couple of months. We ended up closing on a higher note in both live and feeder cattle on Friday. Here's the prices. December live cattle up 72 cents, 168.22. February up a dollar 42, 169.35. April up a dollar 27 at 172.85. Same story on feeders. January feeder cattle up a dollar 55 at 220.90. March up 205, 222.17. With April feeder cattle up 225. 226.57. Cash fed cattle market been kind of quiet all week long. We did see some early week sales coming out of the northern plains at 168. That seemed to be the price that stuck as sales trickled in throughout the week. However, down here in the south, feedlots didn't seem to care for that too much. Most were holding out for 170. Now, as of this recording, we don't have any reports of sales here in the south, but that is definitely expected to happen. And we'll bring you those prices when we get them. Boxed beef prices mixed on Friday. Choice down 24 cents, 292.08. Select up 327 at 261.53. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Ken Jordan had a great sale in San Saba on Thursday. Ken, how many noses did you count? 2,100 head today. I thought all the stocker steers were probably steady to maybe $5 lower. Had a group of two steers, uh, weighed 508 at 270 pounds, dotted out right at $1,372. I thought the stocker heifers were steady on a lot of the better quality kind to maybe $8 lower. I thought when you looked at the stocker cattle as a whole and even the feeder cattle, better quality cattle were pretty well all steady, especially after last week's big increases, but the lesser quality cattle a little bit lower. Seemed like in the bigger cattle, I thought feeder shares were probably $5 lower because the board, you know, kept falling about $40, $45 a hundred. I thought the feeder heifers were probably uh, steady to $4 lower too. And kind of the lower quality kind of cattle was was kind of cheaper on them. I did have a real choice set of six heifers in a deal. Weighed $7.63, brought $2.15 a pound, right at $1,640 on those. Packer cows and bulls, I thought were overall fully steady, very active on those still. Pears, bred cows, and bred heifers, we had several of those a day. They were all steady too compared to female 
else that we had recently. And we get the Leachman uh, Ranch uh, 52 stabilized bulls uh, that were offered. Uh, Larry, very, very strong interest in those. The average day was $5,887. The bulls range anywhere from $3,000. Uh, the lowest bull all the way up to 11000 on the highest bull. I think we had about four, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 bulls and two or three $11,000 bulls. So very good sale, a lot of activity. And uh, we got one more sale at Mason Monday that we'll be getting ready for. And then that'll be our last sale uh, for the Christmas and New Year's break. And then we'll be starting back up in uh, January, Larry. We'll touch base with you Sunday night for that Monday sale in Mason. In the meantime, if folks want to get a hold of you, how do they do so? You bet, Larry. Give us a call, Larry. Go 325-372-5159. Neighbor, thanks so much for listening to me, Larry Marble, and my friend Ken Jordan on Walking the Pins, part of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network programming you here right now on Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finished higher on Friday. February hogs up $1.42 at $71.90. April hogs up $1.45, $78.62. Class 3 milk lower. The nearby December milk down 6 cents at $16.14 a hundredweight, while January milk was down 34 at $15.90 a hundred. Cotton market lower on Friday. We've seen a lot of producers selling in the market throughout the week, so that's kept a lid on any price gains and may have contributed to the slight losses we saw on Friday. We closed out the week with March cotton down 88 points, 79.93. May down 80 at 80.69, with July cotton down 77 points, 81.17 cents. Corn market moved higher on Friday. March corn up three and three quarters at 4.83 a bushel. May up three and a quarter, 4.95 and a quarter. With July corn up three and a quarter, 5.04 and three quarters. And a higher close in the wheat complex. Both hard and soft wheat finishing higher Friday. That soft wheat market continues to gain ground on the hard wheat. We've seen this huge gap between hard and soft wheat for most of this year. But that gap has been narrowing here over the last month or so. Hard and soft wheat prices now very close to each other. Here's how we wrap things up on Friday, March. Kansas City wheat up six and a quarter, six forty-two and three quarters. New crop July wheat up eight at six fifty-one and three quarters. Soft wheat in Chicago, the March contract up thirteen and a half, six twenty-nine and a quarter. While July was up 12 and three quarters, 644 and a quarter. In the energy markets, January natural gas up seven cents at 246. January West Texas crude up four, 7162 a barrel. The financial markets were mixed Friday afternoon. The Dow up 59 points, 37,308. The S&P unchanged at 4,718. While the Nasdaq was up 52 at 14,813. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.